One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Greetings, fellow earthlings, and welcome to the Ethics and Antics podcast. It is I, Tim the Human, with episode one. Hey! Yay. It's, been, it's been a while coming. I've wanted to do this for a long time, but it's uh, not really manifested itself until now. Thanks to ACAST, got in contact with me and sort of synchronistically, we've pulled it together and brought you the first one. So thanks for tuning in. Uh, how to start a podcast? That is the first question in my head. I wanted to do it, but when the opportunity comes, I wasn't really sure. What, how do you even begin it? I had so many ideas. So to help me along on my journey, as I tried to record this once in my bedroom and it just didn't feel quite right on my own. I brought my good friend, fellow philanthropist, spiritual warrior, it's Jamie Lorenz. Oh, give me a hug. Start the podcast yeah. up with a hug. Heart to heart there. Heart to heart. Went the wrong way. Flip it. There you go. We all hug the wrong way around, don't we? I realised that, but you can't... Yeah. You can't um... My philosophy is always flip everything. I think we've learned everything so disconnected that if you flip it the other way, you might find the truth sits there. Yeah. Mm. That's a good way. But naturally, we all go to hug everyone the wrong... Not heart to heart. We go to the yeah, left-hand side. We go to the wrong side. Yeah. And if you but try... Very naturally. It's naturally that we do that. But really naturally. I mean, it's like it's almost like a, a given. As in, we're naturally disconnected and we push yeah, each other that it way. It seems that way. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I have this theory, mm-hmm. which is way out there, but I feel like British people are more closed than Americans because we pass on the left and not the right, which puts our hearts further away from each other when we cross by each other. Such an interesting theory. <laughs> but most people would think that's a stupid, what are you on about, Tim? But you, yeah. can, you, can you roll with that? Is that well, we should right? put that under the category of observationist. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a good observation. But how often, like, when I'm walking in England, I'm so aware mm. that I should pass people on the left-hand side. Yeah. And I get, and I've, my ego flares up if someone tries to pass me on the right and I'm clearly set my intention to go to the left of them and they've kind of countered that and I just like the um, angry part of me like sort of assumes they're a foreigner or something and it's like when mm. I'm travelling and I'm abroad and I'm aware that they drive on the right hand side I should pass everyone on the right I have to keep checking my, myself when I'm walking down the street and uh, almost going to cr- pass into someone mm. Yeah. It's a bit like yoga, though, isn't it? When you when you breathe, they teach you to breathe out of one nostril because it stimulates a part of the the mind, and then the same with the other nostril. I mean, again, I don't know how much science backs this up, but it does seem like you know that the the left portion of your body relates to the right hand side of your brain and the right hand. You know, they talk mm. about creators being left handed and yeah. and being logical. You want to use the left part of your brain. Yeah. Um, it would seem almost, it seems almost the same with where your heart sits, right? Yeah. It sits on the left. Yeah, yeah, so my point is when we're passing on the left-hand side of the other human, mm. it puts our hearts further apart. So energetically, we don't cross as close if your yeah. heart is sort of the centre of, of your energy. And, and it's some hypothetical pseudoscience world that I sort of believe I live in, do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. Um, that when we're passing someone on the right, you're passing closer to the heart. So every person you drive by in the street, energetically, you're... If you've got an auric field, if such thing happens to exist, you beca- you pass at mm. a closer point. What I've noticed in London is that there's an amazing connection in terms that if, for example, if you get pulled over by the police um, and you relate to the policeman in a certain way or you deal with them in a certain way, you can build a connection very, very quickly. 
Um, in America, you can't. In America, you have no chance. The police plays a role of a, poli- of a different. Cu- like they're not on the same level, are they? It's mechanical. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. it's like dealing, it's robotic almost. And as a parkour athlete, I get the same experience. Yeah. When I'm in America, you mm. can't say a word. In England, you can talk back, explain yourself, yeah. explain what you're doing, and you can talk to them as a human, see eye to eye. Well, you can connect. America, that, yeah. See that part of that part. I love Britain, and I love. I, I mean, London. And it's the same with the homeless person. In England, you mm. don't feel as distant from the homeless person, whereas in America, yeah. the distance between the pedestrian and the homeless is ma- seems it's massive. Yeah. And in England, you don't you feel more connected to them. So you're right that the, the top end and bottom end yeah. are not as far apart. But but, but in but in in the UK or in Britain, I find that it, everyone almost likes to be disconnected. Like there's that you you have this connection. It's like it's like the disconnection sits very shallow, and that and that the the essence of our societies. You know, we only communicate when we say sorry for bumping into each other, mm. or you know, it, it's usually mainly apologies that kind of bring us together. I mean, we are talking more London than the rest of England. Yeah, well. I when mean, I like, travel out, is a bit more open, but certainly London is. London definitely has that. So has, is, is that I mean, the blessing and curse of it being so so cosmopolitan? It is the like. I don't know what it is. I think I think it's a lot to do with with just the, the general ambience. I mean, I know when I got back from Los Angeles um, and spending time in Venice, and you know, all the neighbours say hello to one another, and I got back to my dad's house, and the neighbour was sitting outside on the patio on the front, and didn't even look up to say hello. I mean, the, you know, there's a point where where if, I, if somebody was coming into the proximity or my near proximity, I would look up and acknowledge them. I've just, it's an acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, and I think that disconnection sits quite prevalent in, in, in London. Um, yeah. But at the same time, on the kind of flip side, this is amazing connection that you can actually surpass that and you get to a lovely place where you can connect with people on a really deep level because they're incredibly logical in London. There's something mm-hmm. about this city that, that just thrives logic. Um, and I, I miss that when I go abroad sometimes. I hear what you're saying. I have the same thing when I get the elevator to, to my apartment. And I'll say hello to the person in the lift and sometimes they won't respond. And then mm-hmm. sort of I'll, I'll say hello a second time to, to see if they were... Really like trying to avoid the, the hello, <laughs> just kind of testing. The elevators are notoriously awkward anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, yeah, we struggle in those. It's true. It is, but it you is, know, there was something we were, we were talking about recently, which was um, which that if you want to, because I think there's this default brain that seems to consume us, right? And so when you get into a lift and it's silent, you almost have to become silent because everyone else has become silent. It's like this mm-hmm. force that comes upon you. If you fight that voice occasionally, it sets you into a, into a new reality that's 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 unique to your own existence. So I know. When, when someone hugs me, for example, my brain goes, all right, it's time to finish the hug. And so I let go of the hug. But when I don't listen to that voice and I go past maybe three seconds over the hug should be on for, I find myself in a very trippy, unusual place that is mm. that I believe is actually where we should be. We should try to push the, the default mind into new areas of our, of our reality. And I think we can do that by, by contesting certain defaults and, and elevators being dead silent could be one of those defaults. But it's true, but even the hug scenario that you talk about mm. <laughs> that we all go through daily <laughs> i think generally people are more and more receptive to hugs nowadays yes, it's really are, yeah, because yeah. people are opening up they become you know they're not as scared of a hug now and those ones that were already hugging back in the day they're getting longer hugs mm. you know and it, and it's becoming more intuitive when to release the hug and it is getting longer and longer i guess yeah i uh, find it I, I think I think you're certainly right. There's a lovely TED talk about from Doctor Love about oxytocins and how mm. and how you know eight hugs a day makes the depression go away. Yeah. I think we're starting to realise that we live in a kind of limbo land. We crave love, but we 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 have this resistance to kind of touch and, and be tactile with people. And I think we're becoming more tactile, and through that, you know, we'll become truly more happy. Yeah, and just mm. becoming more open and, and comfortable in our own skin. That contact with others is not 
not as daunting a task. Oh, but it feels so daunting sometimes in the beginning. I mean, it does feel with, daunting. With new people? Or with well, it's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's always that kind of, you know, I, it's not, it's, it's something that I, I, certainly, I certainly challenge, but I understand the, the severity when you're in that kind of aggy, depressive place that city life can sometimes bring upon you, that the idea of touch is so like, ah, you know, it's kind of, you almost resist it. But then when you flow into it, you're like, oh. You know, it's soothing almost. It is. Yeah. What about um, the old handshake? <laughs> that's why hug. That's why we've moved to hugs. Because handshakes is. have become too complex. There's too many handshakes. Yeah. That if you just hug, if you just do that from the start, you're in and out. Um, mm. Anyway, enough of handshakes and hugs. And when I started this podcast and mm. I was deciding what to do for the first podcast, for the first episode, I was going to tell three stories. Mm. The first one was going to be winning the World Freemaking Championships and uh, we actually tried to record that a few times and mm. it wasn't enjoyable for me. That's a, a long part of my history. That was seven years ago now. And mm. it, was, it was an important part of getting to where I am now, but it doesn't need to be told anymore. Um, the second story was going to be climbing the pyramids of Egypt. Now, I've told you this story before. Yeah. And I, and I watched the vlog as well, the, the, the YouTube video. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and I, you know, I, I, I watched the YouTube. I mean, I, as I said, like, I, I try and deal with these emotions, especially jealousy. But I have to tell you that that's <laughs> one of the stories that you've had that I am epically jealous of. Um, thanks, man. Yeah, I think that's a compliment. <laughs> is that compl- well, I'm it's jealous of you, dude. No, I'm oh, de- thanks, man. <laughs> well, not of you, but of the action of what you did. I think that's you know to climb the pyramids of Giza. Mm. Um, I'm glad it's over now, and I'm glad I've done it. Yeah, but I think that's I think that's definitely an interesting place to start. So yeah. maybe. Um, well, I was inspired by Graham Hancock. I remember mm. I've been at to a talk of his, seen him live, and he talked about climbing it, and that sort of inspired me. And then uh, I got to do it. So I was in Egypt for uh, YouTube. Have a funding program where they fund certain YouTube channels to go and produce content. And so I pitched. This was in 2013. I pitched six different strands, uh, seven strands, to be funded, and I actually got funding for six of them. And one of those was a travel series. And I got to travel around. I went to Sweden. Um, Hong Kong was one of the favourite places I went to. And also Egypt was, an, was another one that was on my list I always wanted to visit. Um, so I chose one parkour athlete. That was Ben Jenks. I uh, got my camera guy, Giles, who comes along and films everything. And an f- Egyptian friend from London, Marwan. And we went travelled over to Egypt. When we got there, we were greeted by a Egyptian parkour athlete. And he was going to look after us, sort of our fixer, mm. take us everywhere we wanted to go. And of course, you're in Egypt, in Cairo, at some point you're going to want to go to the pyramids. But we found out that this guy, for the last two weeks, every night in the evening, had been going to the pyramids and speaking to the locals and trying to build a relationship with one of the locals that he'd heard could can guide you. Supposedly this kid was a uh, grave digger, like a he's, he's sneaks around and breaks into all the to- tomb robber, that's what he was, tomb, yeah. a tomb raider. And would, he was a young guy, but he was, sort of had some money from robbing these tombs and things. I'm a 16-year-old kid. I don't remember his name, which is probably a good thing. I wouldn't want to put it out there anyway. But it came out that on the day we ended up going to the pyramids to film around there and get away with what we could, because certainly one thing I learned about Egypt was everyone wants a bribe. So you get told off for doing anything, even if they knew it wasn't bad, just because they want, they wanted a, a bribe from you. So we were around the pyramids in the daytime, sort of eyeing it up, wrecking it up. Um, massive structures. It was a great moment to finally be there. You know, As a kid, I was, was fascinated in Egypt and liked making papier-mâché dummy, uh, mummies and things like that. Um, 
And we shot a bit around in the day, flipping in front of camels and the old typical shots that you'd get. And then we we managed to to confirm that we we're going to have an opportunity to go and climb the pyramids. So we ended up hanging around in this shop that sold a uh, memorabilia, all the the rafts and uh, mummy statues and Tutankhamun, and it, like hundreds of shops you'll see in Egypt all selling the exact same thing. It was just another shop like that. We we had to wait until two in the morning. So me and Jenks ended up somehow falling to sleep on this marble floor about midnight, freezing cold, marble floor, had all our, our pack stuff with us. And uh, we had a camera guy, though the problem was we weren't allowed to film because anything like the red light on our camera would would be spotted. They woke us up at two in the morning. We uh, left the shop, sneaking around the streets. Like this is from this moment, from even falling asleep on that marble floor was, you have moments in your life which just don't feel like you're living it, like you're sort of a witness to the action. You're on default. If, yeah. You're on default. If I'd let my thought come into it, I probably would have wanted out. Mm. But I just thought the overriding idea of this one-off opportunity oh, that's so huge. made the decision for me. So I, I went mm. along with it. We walked down these streets. You could hear people still in the houses listening to the radio, and um, people coming by. We saw some people coming by and camels and things, and they led us to this this hole in the fence down some back alley, and there was a CCTV on top of above the hole, and we sneaked through, and just sort of shadowed the fence along for a few hundred meters. So we were within the perimeters because the whole of the pyramids perimeter is got a fence the whole way around it. So this was our entrance in. And we had one guide and his, and his friend was helping us as well. We ended up paying them. Uh, I can't remember how many. I think it was around four or five hundred pounds, English pound, to guide us through this. Um, and they acted as guys, experts. They would go ahead and we'd be left in ditches in the sand for maybe 15, 20 minutes at a time. They'd go off and come back and say, OK, this way. Then we'd move forward sometimes 20, 30 metres, not even that far, and they'd go off ahead again for 15, 20 minutes. They'd split off in different directions, come back, speak to each other in Egyptian, decide which direction, I guess Arabic is, is the language, right? And then we'd go, we'd go off again. Now, there was one guy in our group, so there was five of us in total. This fifth guy just sort of tagged along another free-run kid that we'd met that, was, that got along with as well he was really starting to, to panic as we got closer and closer. We, we'd hear um, guards walking around. At one point, we saw loads of dogs. Like I think there must have been wild dogs start running and howling and barking. And we got closer and closer to the pyramid. But at one side of the pyramid, and this was recently introduced... In you, the, in you, so you're on the other side of the gate at this point? We're on the other side of the fence and mm. we're slowly working our way. We'll probably start off about a kilometre away from the pyramid from the fence. So we were working our way in. There's a big light up the side of one of the pyramids, um, which was only introduced within the last year because of these Russian kids that, that was on the internet. They had to climb the pyramids at night and it got leaked and got re it got really famous, these photos that these Russian kids had taken on top of the pyramids and sort of how they did it. So they put this big light on one side of the pyramid to, to I guess, dis disencourage, what's the word? Yeah, disencourage. Yeah, yeah, people from doing the same thing. And it was about, we'd been sneaking for about an hour and a half and there was the, the final, we're in the final ditch and we see a flashlight go onto the pyramid 
and start looking along the the um, I guess along the nook and crannies of the ridges of the pyramid, scouting it. We stayed in our ditch, froze for about 15, 20 minutes. And eventually the Egyptian guys decided to go off again and, and check out the area. They went off, came back to us, and it was a make or break. The, one of the guys that was with us was starting to panic, and uh, he was making us all nervous. He just brought nervous energy. Me and Ben had just accepted that we're going to try and do it, whatever. He brought nervous energy to the whole group. And so one of the... We ended up having to stay in this ditch while one of the um, the guys tried to take him back to the start of the fence and get rid of him before we start to ascend the pyramid. <laughs> so we, me and Ben are there just with, with this one of the guys just, just hanging tight. We started to try and film on our phones at this point, and the guy panicked and started like slammed our phones down. No, like no lights whatsoever. Mm. Um, so it ended up this was all for story for now. Um, ends up 15, 20 minutes later, the guy comes back. The guy comes back with. The panicked kid, because there was the guard was blocking. There was a guard blocking the exit that we'd come in on, and he had to come back with us. <laughs> and we'd been here. It was nearly two hours at this point of just slowly traversing and getting close to the pyramid. And there's a final like 50 meter because we're in sort of the ruins of other part. There's like what, other, what time is this roughly now? We're about 3:30 in the morning. Okay. Now, 3:34 in the morning, and there's the whole crawl that we're going across towards the pyramids is across ruins of smaller pyramids and other remains and yeah. a small village or something to, as you get closer. And so we're at the final bit now where there's a 50 meter stretch to the, the pyramid, to one side of the pyramid, which has got the light facing up it. And we just made the decision now or never. We, we all committed to it. All of us charged at, at the pyramid, we, we got to the base of the pyramid. The face with the light on it. The face with the light on it, yeah, because we couldn't, I mean, it'd be, it would take forever to try and sneak around to the backside. Yeah, so yeah. the side we'd come in on was, it was on, it was in the corner, so it was lighting up two sides of the pyramid, basically. Okay, as you say. So we, we came on to the right-hand side of where the light was, and we got to the pyramid, and it was such a surreal moment. Even though we'd been there in the day and we touched the same bottom bricks, to be there at night in this moment, it's funny how... Magical. Um, yeah, it was magical, but we heard the dog start to bark as we started running, and mm. we just started charging up the pyramid. Um, me and Jenks, you know, the, the bricks are about from belly belly button height to shoulder height, each one, and from our parkour background, we're quite quick. And it, I guess efficient technique really helps you, you in scaling yeah. something like that. It's like giant steps. And we scaled, and actually, I remember hearing all the dogs bark, and we were just kept looking back, kept looking around. Some of the guides were a lot slower than us, but obviously they didn't need to guide us at this point. The only way was up to the top. Um, and we went up and up and up and up, got to the top, kept checking round. No no guards with flashlights. We were mate, like we genuinely like almost accepted that this is it now or never. And the guard, it's not like the guards were just going to be friendly and say, come on now, guys. They had AK-47. So you had put climbing the pyramids before getting caught. I mean, you, you resigned to the fact that you... Were, I, I was, I'd yeah. come that far and sure. I'd been gone for that long. I mean, that's commitment, that right? It, it was commitment, but, and they, they had AKs. And now I don't think for a second they would ever sh shoot us, but I just wouldn't like to even be caught yeah, by one of them. And the locals, um, one of the didn't speak English and one did. He translated for the other one. He was saying how if they caught us, I mean, we'd probably be all right, but they'd be absolutely, you know, they'd get beaten yeah, yeah. up and everything. There'd be local rat kids kind of thing. They'd be treated so badly. Anyway, me and Jenks made it to the top first. And I actually remember it took about, we did it in about 11 minutes. You said that. Is, I mean, which yeah. just like, it totally shocks me. I mean, I've, yeah. I've not been to the pyramids, but the, the idea It makes them seem smaller than the idea it, of it. It definitely yeah. does. Yeah, it definitely yeah. has that feel. Yeah, I wonder how many, they're probably only 
200 meters high or but something. But I mean, that sounds like a, almost like another world record you've broken there, 11 minutes to climb the pyramid. Well, the kid that guided us, his, uh, probably a relative of his was yeah. supposedly the record holder. Um, Do you know the time? I think it was around then, or maybe it was up and down time, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but anyway, the, I mean, top, it, the top it, it, of the pyramid. These are big bricks, right? It's a big brick. Really so thick bricks, yeah. Okay. And the whole, the push you bring technique. conspiracy into it, like built by aliens and all that. Maybe yeah. we'll talk about that another time. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know how humans build it, but obviously mm. the people have incredible ideas and technology regardless of but how was your, how, was your, how was your cardio getting up there I mean how did you find it was all right it was yeah. all right and we, and it wasn't like uh, if I wanted to just stream straight up it would have gone faster it was sort of stop start because I didn't want to leave people that far behind because sure. you actually start to go into clouds you know I, th- I think not because it was insanely high like a mountain but yeah. it was just sort of the nighttime desert mist mm. kind of rolls in so we didn't want to lose anyone but th- at the same time when we did get to the top we were protected from anyone at the bottom seeing us now one thing people and I, I find interesting, and I would have asked someone if they climbed the pyramid, is what's the size of the top, the top of the pyramid? And I'd say it's about five meters squared, maybe a bit bigger, maybe seven or ten meters squared. So there's a big platform on top you can hang out on, mm. um, and then there's a big wooden structure, I think, for lightning or something with a, a metal thing going up the middle. And I climbed to the top of that one as well. I wanted to get to the top, top. And, and at the, the top of thing. this, there's a, there's a lot yeah. of engravings and signatures from, from other people that have climbed. There's the loads, yeah. yeah. So as I said before, that it was illegal to climb the pyramids after the, I think after the 80s. So people were climbing it up until the 80s anyway. So, right. I mean, people certainly have done it in the past. It, it's not I'm not the only person in the world that's done this. But, and there's loads of engravings. But just the way we went about it and uh, the time period that, I, that we did it in when a lot less people are doing it per year mm. than you'd think... Um, we were in the cloud. We started to take photos and we tried to film, although it was really dark. We could faintly see one of the other pyramids in the background. And I'll find that photo and I'll put it on. If you're listening on ACAS on the website, there'll be a photo here. Um, but the, the real defining moment and why this is one of the highlights of my life was when it got to about 5 a.m. So we'd been traveling for about three hours, finally got to the top of the pyramid. Um, you hear the call for prayer. You forget you're in a... Mm. Muslim uh, country and they pray five times a day and at one of the times at around 5, 5.15 in the morning the whole city rang out it was 360 degrees of the uh, what are they called? yeah what are they called the uh, mosques mm. ringing out and the people the, the guides were all religious and we, we just joined wow. in they all started to pray you know wow. kneel down facing Mecca and we just and, joined and, in and, and sun rising must have been happening as well at this point. it was just starting to come up yeah, at this point wow. so you had sunrise you could hear every mosque in the city ringing out, uh, and we just joined in the prayer. And it, it was, I think, for all of us, it was defining. a real, real defining moment. Wow! Um, and then I'll, I'll never forget as we we finished the prayer and all that, the, and the sun had started to rise, and we started to see clearly. Now we started to descend down into the into the desert again. And we just didn't feel like it was a prop. We didn't feel, we thought like, oh, if we get caught now, it's whatever. Like the sun, it was light enough at that point and we just like danced down it. The, the guys were really worried about the way me and Ben would, went down, but with our parkour, because we just scooted the whole way down, just foot in hand, foot in hand. Um, but it was light and we just felt, we were like running and giggling and like hugging each other and high-fiving. And we thought if we get caught now, it doesn't matter because the sun's up. It didn't feel, it's funny how things feel so... I can't think of a better word than naughty. Things feel so naughty in uh, at night time. At night time, mm. but in the daytime, you just get slapped wrist. Like, oh, what are you doing? You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. like, we just felt like some that. kids messing around. And um, 
we we've managed to get back to the hole in the fence, got out, uh, starving, hungry, and there was a, a gang of people hanging outside a. And, and there were no guards saw you come down the pyramids. No guards saw us leave. Wow. Um, it was such an incredible. Yeah, we got out. We, we yeah, they must have been sleeping. I don't know. We weren't quiet. We, we weren't. Secretive on the way out. Promotion to go and climb the pyramids. But yeah, I remember going to eat pitta, going to find um, the stands that had just made fresh pitta in the morning, and all the families were going to get theirs for the day. Mm. And we got some pitta and bought some tomato crisps, and just filled the pitta with tomato crisps. (laughs) It was it was an an unbelievable moment, Um, and certainly one of one of the highlights of my life. But yeah, as we started this conversation, you'd seen the video. Yeah. And my manager, because they couldn't find my contact, got a phone call from that. We documented. And when I say documented this, we didn't really film anything other than on the top, but I told the story of it in the video that you saw. Mm. My manager got a phone call from the home office who asked us uh, to take the video down because they said if the Egyptian government saw it, you know, we could be on their radar. I don't know if I could go back to Egypt right now that I might, my name might flag up when my passport scans in. Yeah. Um, and they could find the house we stayed at before we went to the pyramid and they could find everyone in the video you know really easily if they really wanted to and we put mm. their lives in j- danger by putting the, the video up so um we had to take that down and all i'm, I'm left with is the stories and my memories and uh and that's, which is it was just easily enough more than enough um, yeah. this is the old school way of living and what a great story yeah and, the I mean, one photo. and how long do you reckon, i mean just just riding that high i mean you must have been high for three or four days after that i mean was, you must have been really clear-headed it was it was it was a lovely trip you know mm. and what else i liked in egypt was to have the stands in the street that just sell sweet corn and sweet potatoes and i could live off that like yeah. as, as i wish instead of the, the popcorn and the hot dog stands we have in the streets here imagine if they did have just sweet potato not it just salt mm. newspaper Sweet potato and salt, no butter, nothing. I could just live off that. And that was another, you know, when you're riding that high and then you're just eating clean food like that. It, yeah. And it, 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 was a, it was a wonderful trip. Yeah, well, a wonderful story. Mm. Yeah, as I say, I mean, I, you know, just when, I, when we talk, spoke about it in Venice, the, 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 the grandeur of it, the size of it, mm-hmm. you know, just, I think you missed one point though, which is that when you got to the top, you know, in kind of Tim Shee fashion, you did a handstand at the very top. I did, yeah. and a backflip. And a backflip. And I beat Jenks to it. <laughs> okay. So I wanted, I wanted to race him. Yeah. I didn't say I was you racing can't, You him. can't leave that out of the story. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, you know. Yeah, of course. Did the old handstand and, and a backflip on the top of the Great Pyramids of Giza. Yeah. That's a moment. No, it's just too epic. I, I, mean, I, always wonder, I did always wonder, like, yeah. did a local Egyptian mm. thousands and thousands of years ago ever do that? Like, did some, somewhere, I feel like they That's might That's a really have. good point, actually, because you've got all the signatures, so there's obviously other people that have climbed. There's we probably gymnasts. How many of them have done a backflip or, or, or a handstand? I reckon at least 10. I've done it yeah. before me. At least 10. Um, what, yeah, what an epic story. I mean, really, something to hold on to for the rest of your life. Thanks, man. No, it was, yeah. it was still an experience, and I, as I said in it, it I was on autopilot <laughs> I just agreed to do it and then didn't mm. let any doubt creep in and it, it worked out and that's it the doubt I mean how many people you know I, mean, I know I know when, when I was I was on a friend's uh, boat and I dived off the top mm-hmm. and I'd done it 10 times maybe 11 times and suddenly there were new people watching and their fear of me doing it resonated and I suddenly became fearful mm-hmm. of the dive and yeah. I suddenly froze up and amazing that you had someone on the journey with you that was it was giving off that that frequency and you manage to surpass that and keep doing it and keep pushing through, you know, most people at that point would have given in. That's It was, yeah, certainly an ed- edgy moment in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, me and Jenks, Ben, just both agreed to it and both of us just never 
we never gave each other doubt and together mm. you know when you're with a friend that has the same faith as you that's so much more powerful than just you on your own and you, and you don't let that overpower you but that is interesting how you say how you were doing the, jumping off a boat fine every time and then as soon as the, it's you know how does the witness change the scenario yeah and i guess it's how because it can change it both ways you know but you can you can show off and the, the ego creeps in and then an accident happens because yeah. of the witness would you have done it without them watching or, or not and i learned the same through parkour is when i'm doing a jump am i doing it just for the camera am i doing it because someone's watching or mm. am i doing it for the challenge and overcoming uh, you know a new a new experience and, and i think obviously in what you do you have to be constantly mindful of that because if you're doing it for the wrong reason um you know, i feel you're not protected i genuinely feel saying, like there's yeah. a there's a protection impurity so when i was climbing the pyramids I wasn't doing it to show off. I wasn't doing it for the documentation or anything. Mm. I was doing it because I wanted to experience that. Yeah, of course. It, you know, and if I feel, and I felt a certain, I don't know, angel over me or something mm. in that purity. And I think we all have that. And as soon as you're doing something for, uh, you know, a, le a less pure purpose of uh, impressing feeding women or, or, or whatever, fe yeah, yeah. feeding ego, mm. then you lose that guard, that guardian on you, and um, and that's when accidents happen. And I don't really believe yeah, in accidents. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have. I mean, you know, especially with what you do with parkour. I mean, that's you know, you must you must feel that. I mean, there's a feeling in that. There is. A, there's a genuine feeling, and it's mm. also an understanding when you're looking at, say, a big roof gap in your head, or jumping to a rail, or mm. something like that. There's a doubt will always creep in, and is that doubt? Like your brain, like a fear that's not... Because initially when you look at a jump, you have a split-second reaction of, I can do it or I can't. Yeah. And then as you stand there and look at it for longer and longer, it changes, you know, and, and you, this doubt creeps in. And sometimes that might be your brain saying, don't do it, you'll hurt yourself. But it's not based on any, anything actual. It's just mm. starting to create stories and piecing together YouTube videos you've seen in the past of someone failing. Or is it your gut, actually, and that's your real instinct, Yeah. you know? And in the beginning, when you first looked at it, that might have jumped and it's it's trying to differentiate between the two and we can eat we each have practices you know a musician making a song might might make a song and they have a feeling about whether it, it's good or not or whether it's you know and we each have a practice of getting that out there and for me parkour is a way for me to understand whether it's my intuition or mm. my ego telling telling me to do it or not to well, do it. it's interesting you said because actually the more you the more you look at it which inevitably mm. means the more you think about it yeah you um, think, exactly. it leads you into a negative path um you know, we've been. You know, I know we've had discussions in the past about it, about you know what you know, what is the mind and what's the purpose of the the, the tool of the thinking mind. Um, but just being in the moment and being present and not thinking, I think, is the answer. Because the second we think, you write, you build up these stories. Mm -hmm. um, all of a sudden, your intuition gets clouded by mm -hmm. the, the imagination of you know the imagination yeah. of the past or the future or whatever it is that you bring into your existence. Yeah. Um, and so being present and being in the now, fundamentally, it's always the answer. And it, well, it's weird because that entails living on instinct, right? Yeah. Which is sort of part of the spiritual journey is surpassing the animalistic body and, and, and mindset and, and transcending that. But mm. at the same time, it's going towards that and becoming aligned with your instinct again. Like as children, yes. if... And you know the same when when you react, interact with a child. If you don't really know the kid, but it's a cute kid, and you're going up to go, oh yes, and you want to play with the kid's going to run away from you because you're just being weird to the to the kid, right? <laughs> kids act on instinct. Yeah. If, if you're too energetically trying to take from that kid straight away, and the sure. same with dogs. Whereas if you in the in the room with the kid and you, you're calm and let the kid um, naturally become interested and come over to you, and then you can start mm. messing around, doing headstands, whatever you want to play around with. Kids live on instinct, and and. It's, it's good to live with that mindset. When I watch a child 
Um, that sounds so weird, doesn't it? Super cute. <laughs> <laughs> in a playground, though. Yeah, I, do, and I, was, I, and I, looked I was look, deep in there. I didn't I even know, spot that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I just got to put it out there. But mm. when I watch kids climb, and it fascinates me because I feel like we can learn so much about pr proper technique yeah. from children because they do it. They never set themselves up to fall. I, I've had, throughout my parkour career, like, and, and jumping around, I've had so many parents tell me, um, generally it's all good, but it, a lot of times I get parents say, I don't want my kids to see you doing that and copy it. But when you watch kids, they don't just see you do it. They've come up to me and said, how do you do a backflip? And then they've gone to, like, like they wanted to do it. But they've always pulled out before they've gone for it. They're not stupid. They're really in control of the body. They know the limits. So when, I watch, when you watch children climb on obstacles, it's, it's very much instinctual. It's one step at a time. Yeah. That, you know, they're, they're letting moment each to moment. moment to moment. They're not suddenly, like, as an adult, when you see me stood on top of a building, you go, oh, my God. And, and you put yourself in my, in my body. And you mm. go, if I was there, I would fall, I would hurt myself and that. But you don't understand the practices I've gotten on. And the yeah. process that I even did to get in up there, it was one step at a time the whole way. Mm. Whereas, and a child climbing a climbing frame or something, it's one step at They'll grab the railing, they'll put their foot up, they'll grab their other bit, they'll bring their hips in. Yeah. And it's very much calculated, but it's, it's, it's instinctual calculation. They're not thinking of how to climb the thing. They're just feeling through each step of the way. Yeah. And I think as adults, we lose the idea that you can do things one step at a time. And we just look at the end product and we're afraid of the end product. Because it, because there's a journey along the way going on that we don't know. The experience well, I, of. I actually had that. I had that with you. I remember on Regent Street when we were on mm. the top of the buildings and um, you yes. did the the one-handed handstand. And I remember, you know, I'd see, you know, I've, obviously I've you know I've done stuff with you and I've and I've witnessed stuff before, but I hadn't witnessed something of that severity. And I remember, I felt that, and as I felt the fear coming in, I had to immediately suppress it because I knew that I, if I didn't suppress it, um, that kind of wavelength channels out and it can cause more nuisance than it than than you want it to. But um, it's a struggle that. You know, it is a struggle when you see people doing stuff that's so out of your domain. You know, there's Alex, um, is it Alex Arnold? The, yeah, the Arnold, the free Arnold, yeah. I mean, watching some of his videos, it just... It, I feel the same. <laughs> yeah, I feel just, like, what if one hand slips? I know, but, it's just, but you get it. Like, but the he's guys, doing it one step at a time. Oh, he's trusting he's, every step. He's, he's a genius. He's absolutely, he, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's very present. Yeah, but, but, that's, but that's a training in ourselves that we need to do. And that's a lesson for ourselves on that. Mm -hmm. And um, it's something that it's something we all need to work on because it, it gets us. You know, but it you, gets get, us. you get it through whatever is your creative outlet. Mm. So whatever you do for creativity, you could play the guitar you could do magic as you like mm. to do you could do martial arts whatever that could be you know your your channel of an understanding of how to be in the in the flow of it yeah. and be present and you even look at someone like alex and you listen to him speaking in interviews and he's had a lifetime of being very much in the moment for a lot of his lifetime how many of mm. us are in the moment for a lot of our day we're often thinking about what we're going to eat or what after mm. work or whatever because he's lived a lifestyle he has a certain energy around life and you know, when he talks, that is of someone that's, that's still a child. I think, you know, in terms of, of this journey, and I'm, I'm really grateful, you know, for our friendship. And I think, you know, together we kind of bounce off each other in, in kind of amazing ways. But you certainly, you certainly pushed me in, in places that I wouldn't have done had you not been there. And I think Venice Beach was certainly one of them, um, where we're walking down the beach mm. and there's a freezing cold ocean. And we all know it's freezing cold. Yeah. And you've gone, ah, oh, let's jump in the ocean. By the way, I mm. don't want to jump in the ocean. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> at I, the I, moment, yeah. but I know that I know that once it's done, how good that, yeah. that feels. And and that's one thing I've learned about life is contrast is key, man. Yeah. Contrast that cold ocean makes the warm 
evening feels so much ni- warmer and nicer and more comforting than yeah. if you just go from the sweaty, salty beach into the evening. But if you swim in the ocean, go shower, put on some fresh clothes, go for dinner that evening, mm. you feel like you've accomplished something. And maybe the ocean is even, you know, there's something, some earthing in that. There's some connection with nature beyond just just accomplishing something. But it really, like, it it just satisfies the soul, you know? But it's amazing, like, that default mind that just, that, that says no, you know, that says, oh, I can do it tomorrow, or today's not the right day It's an day adult mind, it. isn't it? It's the adult mind, Because yeah. a kid would go in 100 out of 100, would go in yeah. that water. Yeah. Yeah, because they're thinking, because the kid wouldn't think, oh, but then I have to shower afterwards, then I have to clean, then I have to change my coat. Especially if the, the kid had someone that, that he respected or she respected, pull it, saying, come on, come on, absent every time, every yeah. time. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. I mean, that was, so that was, you know, that's definitely a, a big one for me because I, I, I certainly give into that brain a lot. Mm. Um, you know, the mind of tomorrow, which never exists. Um, <laughs> You know, I spend my life kind of giving into that, but it's it's something that you know you, you challenge it daily, yeah. and you've been a really good kind of push for that. Yeah, there was, um, there was another moment when we were sat on this exact, this exact sofa. sofa as we were sat right here. It was about twelve, I think it was midnight. Yeah, it was. And um, I think I'd recently, a, a few days before, I'd found a new crane to climb in London, and I'd mm. climbed it. And I was telling you about it, and yeah. you seemed interested. And I said, "Okay, let's go." Well, no, I wasn't interested. You that weren't was, interested. No, no, no. Well, I was, but I the, the, when you first mentioned it. The default mind went, no, we'll do it another day. And then there was this little silent voice that went, you have always wanted to do this. You're sitting with the parkour world champion. He's offering you to take up a crane. What are you saying no to? I think at that point, that was when it kind of went, let's do this. And then we had that kind of like, it was like a back and forth about, should we get the Boris bikes down there or shall we get a taxi? I was like, and my laziness again was like, let's get a cab. And inevitably the Boris biking was some of the, was some part of the highlight. Journey. Yeah, as part I of the said, journey. the contrast. So yeah. the forest biking to get there, the workout, yeah. the tiredness, the fatigue, yeah. you get to the crane, yeah. you, know, you climb it. I've got to tell you that for me, that was one of the most epic experiences of my life um, because it pulled me out of, you know, for you, it's probably one of the kind of normal day-to-day activities you guys get up to. But for me, mm. this was brand new. This was an experience. It was like 35-story crane. It was... Mm. It was on the south side of the river, right near Waterloo, mm. near the Oxo building, that's where it was, wasn't it? We parked, yeah. parked our bikes by the IMAX yeah. and walked down the road. Did we hop a few fences to get in? We, we, we definitely, we left everything, leave no trace. We put yeah. everything back as it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you you um, hung from a yeah. floor about 20 stories off the ground. Well, again, you, it was the, you know, because when you, again, I saw you do it. So, you know, we had climbed up to the certain part of the building. This wasn't on the crane, this was on the building. 
And this is about, what, six stories high now, probably? Higher six, seven, that. probably about higher. 12 um, and there was a little bit of scaffolding, and you had hung from the scaffolding. And I remember thinking to myself, well, you know, I know that if, if this scaffolding was only a, a three foot high, yeah. I would hang from it no problems. Yeah. So the, the idea of, of this fall, this drop, this is, an, this is an illusion. It's an illusion of a reality. I know I can hang from this. Yep. So there's a point where you kind of over, as we've always said, like fear sits so shallow that once you go beyond that, you suddenly realize this is easy. You know, there's, mm. there's no fear. And so, yeah, you, you, you... Breaking the matrix. Breaking the matrix, exactly. But mm. you definitely edged me in, into that point. And I came, to, I came off that, 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 that bit of scaffold. I felt so fresh. I felt mm. so alive. I felt like a child again. Because how many voices in your head of parents and relatives and people that would have been so terrified, but you mm. knew, you knew... It was okay. Yeah. No one else, you, and you listen to that voice. And also, I, you know, I want to live on this planet more than anybody else wants me to live on this planet. Yeah. And so I'm more careful than anybody else can be. That's a word. That's a phrase I really want to remove from the, from the English language. Mm. Be careful. Yeah. If someone says be careful, like I don't, I'm not trying to be. <laughs> I care about my life. Like yeah. I'm not trying to be. And no one's Retrous. ever said be careful to someone, and they've took that in and gone, oh wait a second, I better take care. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing they weren't already doing <laughs> that that they were. Or, you know, pay attention. That's a great thing to say yeah, to someone. Yeah, hey, Jamie, you know when you're going to hang from... Just pay attention to what you're doing. Mm. Make sure your fingers are... You know, pay attention. Be careful, Jamie. Yeah. What does that achieve? Well, it, it does it, nothing. It actually induces fear. That's it induces fear. Yeah. 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 It shows that someone else is scared. And it, they're, saying it, they're saying it out of care and love, but it doesn't help a thing. No. And it bothers me. Well, actually, they're not saying it out of care and love. They're saying, I, I believe, to, re, to relieve something from themselves. Yeah. So that it gets the weight. Because they've okay. got something manifesting in their mind that they need to release. And once they release it, they feel guilt-free. There, mm. there is a, there's, a, there's definitely a psychologi psych yeah. uh, psychological element to that. Yeah. But, but, I mean, anyway, so, you know, we were at this building site and we climbed the crane. And the, the, the bit for me, which, which again, which is goes back to, you know, our kind of friendship and, and where we kind of push each other, but in, this is more you pushing me, was that we got to the top of the crane um, and we had, we had a little bit left to go to go to the very top to where the little platform sits. And so I was, I was down by the bit where the controller was and there's this like um, a little bit that leads to the top where you can stand on. And Tim, you had climbed to the top. And I climbed to the top, but I climbed and I, I, didn't want to, I didn't want to stand on the top. I wanted to hold onto the ladder because mm -hmm. I knew getting down would be easy. Mm. And I remember the wind was just like, it was like, it was almost swearing at me to get off. Yeah. You know, it was like, get down. Yeah. And at that point, I did give into fear and I, and I went down. And I remember you said, look, come up here, stand up here. I was like, no, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. And you're like, I promise you, you'll regret it if you don't. And I remember those words ringing and then the wind just kind of went silent and I climbed up and I stood up there mm. And we took a selfie over the over the London Eye with the big red light. Yeah, um, there's a big red light. On this. Yeah, and it was just the most refreshing experience I, I, I've I've ever had. It was so out the box and out the norm of reality. And um, and yeah, I, you know, I rode that high for three days, which is why I asked earlier about the the pyramids, is because mm. I, I really did genuinely feel like I was high on life for three days just from doing one adventure like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot to learn from that. Do you know? one thing a day that scares you. Or do something that really scares you and it lasts for three days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the really scary ones are a, a bit, bit, a bit heavy. Yeah, and then climbing back down, I remember being yeah. in the cockpit at 30 odd stories up. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, time to go now. And you turn around and your bum <laughs> hit the controls and shifted the entire crane. The entire crane, like, 
an inch, mm. an inch. <laughs> it, but I pa- I streamed down the ladders of that crane. Well, I mean, so for fast. you, you didn't know what had happened. I knew when it happened. Oh, yeah, so, but yeah. I still didn't want the awareness of, of someone else. Mer- yeah, like, yeah. if there's there's still security on the site, and if they became mm. aware of that, yeah, I, did. Um, I, I just didn't fancy getting caught. And to this day, still haven't been caught for any, yeah. anything like that. But but we got out, we got back, and and you had a good three days. And you know, it, it's it's important to align yourself with people that that truly push you, not just people that that flow with you in in comfort zones of sitting in the same plateau that you sat in for years and years. Yeah. And because the real luxuries and the real happiness comes on the other side of the unknown. It does. Mm. I think have one friend that pushes you, maybe a few more. Not mm. you don't want every friend to push you. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a bit of a, a terrified wreck. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, they say you're the culmination of your five friends. So just yeah. find, just make sure that there's one dude around you or dudette, female, mm. that's just pushing you from mm. occasion. When you, you don't have to see them every day, but someone you see once a month or so. And when you do, you know there's a challenge coming and mm. um, it's going to help you grow into life. Because it's so rewarding. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. I think that's a good point to end this first episode. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Come back for more episodes. Uh, we're going to carry on talking about all this stuff. Spirituality. What was our topic? Ethics and antics, man. We'll go into it all. You know, that's sort of, I think that's episode sort of sums up everything, right? Because we talked a bit about mm. spirituality and a bit about um, antics of uh, exploring the world. And I just want to say on that climbing the pyramid, climbing the crane, is that unethical? Can you you guys tweet me or something? Ask me, is that ethical or is it unethical? It's illegal. If you get caught, you could get in trouble. But as the way I see it, a pigeon could fly and sit on top of the pyramid. A squirrel could climb a crane, and nothing would happen to them. Why should I have any less right to the freedom? If I can, if I'm in control and trust myself, and uh, leave no trace, why is that any less ethical than uh, animal being able to do it? It's almost reverse speciesism that as a human, I'm not allowed to do something <laughs> an animal could do. And on that note, guys, thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Peace. Out. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 